you or someone you love needs help for an addiction, where do you turn? Foundations Recovery Network offers individualized treatment for the whole person. Our goal goes beyond short-term sobriety. We address substance abuse and co-occurring mental health issues together, providing a firm foundation for long-term recovery. The first step is often the hardest, but we're here with a free assessment, insurance information, and treatment options. Our confidential helpline is available 24-7, so call 877-714-1318 and discover the Foundation's Recovery Network difference today. Yo, what up? Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. And thank you for your continued support of the show. This is Seth Manter, and you are listening to the Tuesday episode of Sober Guy Radio. So on today's episode, I am talking with Kim Huerta. Kim Huerta has multiple years of working in the mental health um social and working in social work working in public service uh kim began her work in public service in 1988 as an eligibility worker for the county of sac town county of sacramento in this role kim worked to determine benefits available through public assistance such as access to education food stamps and medi-cal for families primarily single parents and their children In 2004, Kim completed her MSW and went to work for Solano County Department of Welfare Child Protective Services. Kim worked there for nine years, an emergency response social worker, where she investigated allegations of child abuse, provided services to families in need, determined whether children should be removed or remain in homes of families that were struggling with a plethora of psychosocial economical, emotional, substance abuse, and mental health issues. But before we get to Kim, be sure to check us out at www.thatsoberguy.com. There's a bunch of resources there. You could check out all of our past episodes and you could get information on upcoming live shows and events. Also, if you wish, you could hit me up on Instagram at SoberGuySeth, or if you feel inclined, and please do not hesitate, you could email me at Seth at that SoberGuy.com. Also, super stoked to announce that on Friday, September 7th at 7 p.m., we will be hosting our very first live podcast event at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, California. Super honored to be joined by special guest, TJ Woodward. TJ is the author of best-selling book, Conscious Being. He is also the author and creator of Conscious Recovery. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit of shit, going to talk some sobriety, some recovery, um, some mindfulness. We're going to have a couple laughs. Uh, Who knows? We may may shed a tear or two, but the plan is to keep it lighthearted, have a good time. Uh, So you could check that out. You could log on to www.thephoenixtheater.com or thatsoberguy.com for tickets. Tickets will sell out for this event. Super small venue. I think there's only 200, 150, 200 seats. Tickets are like 10 bucks or something like that. 
uh, super cheap. So come out and join us for the evening of fellowship, some recovery, um, some good times. So mom, yes, that is right. Kim Huerta, the social worker, is my mother. It's an honor to have you on today. How you feeling? What's hey. going down? Hey, Seth. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really honored and blessed that you include me in um, your sobriety. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And I think, I think you know, just like I had Mel on the show a couple weeks ago, um, I think it's super important to involve the family, especially, you know, in this path of sobriety, it's definitely, definitely important, you know, cause I think that you guys, you as my mother, Mel as my wife, um, we will have Jay on the show too, as my, my stepdad, my father, you know, you guys struggled with this shit while I was going through, through my struggles. And I think it's just an, just as important for you guys to get your story and your word out there as it is for me. You know, we get a ton of emails from wives and mothers, children, you know, asking, asking for a little bit of help and guidance, you know, and the only way that we could do that at, at that sober guy is to share the stories of others. So, um, you know, it's, it's most definitely an honor to have you on. It's going to be a good time. We're just going to kind of sit back and kind of have a normal conversation. Um, have some funds, have some funds, have some fun. Um, you know, and just kind of, kind of shoot the shit about, you know, what, what you went through and your, you know, kind of how maybe you were first, you, you know, how you first experienced the alcoholic, how you experienced them in your professional life. And then, you know, obviously we're going to get into, you know, your personal life a little bit too, because, you didn't only have one son that was an alcoholic or an addict. You got to deal with two of us shitheads. Um, so I think there's definitely, definitely going to be some value added there. Yeah. So this is going to be a good time. Just kick back, relax. So I think, I think what I want to, what I'd really like to do, mom, is, is get into your, your childhood, uh, maybe not your early childhood, but your later childhood. You grew up in a family that was, as I see it, full of fucking chaos. You had... Sorry for the cursing. So that's one thing that I'm really working on. I'm trying to scale that back. So I'm, we're, we're going to do a little tally. F-bomb number one. <laughs> Hopefully we stay right there. So so getting back to you know the content, you grew up in a family that was, as I understand it, full of chaos. Um, you grew up with six other siblings. You were the oldest, and I think... The one closest to you was five five years younger, six years younger. One year. Oh, one year. Okay, so that that goes to show how much I know about your childhood and what you had to deal with. But one thing that I think is super important is you grow up in a household where there was a lot of drinking going on. So if you could yes, kind of if you could kind of take us back to maybe your early adolescence and. Tell us about that and tell us how that kind of led to you leaving that house at a fairly young age. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was chaotic when I grew up. I, being the oldest of um, 
seven kids within 10 year time frame. The youngest is exactly 10 years um, younger than myself and they were twins. And my mother being just not equipped to be a parent and she was an immigrant. And um, yeah, there was, I, I mean, I cannot re recollect a time in my childhood where there was not drinking in our household. So that being said, drinking was normal. It was a normal way of being in the world. So even um, as a middle schooler coming home from school, my mom being wine drunk on the couch and um, chaos going on. And so I had to pick up and fill in um, a lot of the parental role um, that my mother was just ill-equipped to handle. And so, of course, I drank as a teenager. You know, we'd go out with my friends, and we partied a lot. We drank a lot of Colt 45. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that red Yuck. stuff? Some red stuff. Yeah. So we would, you know, we, we, we drank as kids. We drove and drank. And there was a lot of shenanigans that went on around drinking. My mother, bless her heart, you know, may she rest in peace. She struggled a lot. She struggled with mental health. Um, in my opinion, and my father was very aloof. And so um, as a child, I was left to my own resources most of the time. So I grew up um, where I just did what I wanted to do. There was no parameters as to what you do. There were no rules. I wasn't really taught anything. I did. I left home when I was 17. I was still in high school. I got an apartment with a friend and, of course, drank. And, um, I was so lucky when I, I, it was before I was 18, I got a job at the Grand Canyon and in Arizona, they had just changed the drinking laws to be 18. So on my 18th birthday, I drank legally and, um, yeah, that was a party, the Grand Canyon. We partied a lot and I met your father, Steve Manter who was from the East Coast, and um, we partied our way across the country and ended up in Massachusetts, and we drank. And so that was just normal. You know, our normal way of living was that we, we drank. Probably the only time I didn't drink um, throughout that time, just so your listeners know, I don't, I no longer drink. I, 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 no longer drink because of choice because I, I got sick. And so um, it's better for me to not drink, which is fine. Yeah. So, no, you bring up you bring up a very good point. Like, I just want to be, you know, 100 percent clear with the listeners out there. Like, you don't identify as an alcoholic or a drug addict. But I think what is is what is important is. That. The, um, the copious amounts of alcohol that you probably started out drinking as a, as a, you know, young adolescent, as you had referred to, and then into the years at the Grand Canyon, and even when you guys moved back east, I mean, that was just kind of a normal thing. Everyone around you was doing that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a problem with you. And to be, you know, 100% transparent, um, you know, my true beliefs are that Drugs and alcohol were not my problem. My problem was most definitely a problem with Seth, with Seth, Seth, and 
the reason that I used drugs and alcohol, especially in my later years of my addiction, was to get the fuck out of my head. So that's number two. We're going to try and keep it less than five. We are 12 minutes in. So I'm going to take a deep breath. And we're back. I say, I, you know, I, I, I really do mean it. I am really trying to, to stop the F-bombs, but I do kind of pull a little bit of humor into that. So, yeah. So, you guys, you definitely, you and my, you and Steve, my dad, um, you know, it was definitely like social situations that you were using the alcohol to go out and have a good time. Um, and, you know, hearing, hearing stories of your, um, your adolescence, like I think that you were already a pretty outgoing person. Um, so it's not like it, it, or maybe it did that, did it make you feel, you know, more, more outgoing or was it just kind of something you just did because everyone else around you was doing it? Right. And that's why I wanted to preface all that with that, you know, that, 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 the the, the like you say, the copious amount of drinking that you did. And I, and, and it was, it was a lot of drinking going on. However, no, I do not identify as um, an addict. I um, never felt like I had, I, I needed to have more than two glasses of wine or a beer or two. I could always put it down and I never had the urge to have a drink. However, what drinking did do for me is it did facilitate me to have more fun and to get a personality that's the part that I felt like I didn't have I wanted to be that fun person or the funny person Mm. or the person that people wanted to be around and alcohol did do that for me it provided me with that outlet to be able to um, let loose and to relax and to you know let go of control of whatever I needed to let go of so that being said you know, yeah, alcohol did a serve a purpose for me. And, um, you know, fast forward to now and I look back um, and I always thought I was more of an extrovert and the person that, but in reality, I'm really more probably like you, Seth, I probably am more of an introvert and um, alcohol did provide me with that outlet to kind of come out of myself um, in a way that at that time felt more comfortable for me. Well, so that's definitely groundbreaking to me because I've never looked at you or thought of you as an introvert. And I think that it's, you know, like I'm happy that you have that ability to share that with myself. And, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is going to release to the world. So the world will have access to this. And I'm sure that you're going to get multiple comments back that's saying no way you are not an introvert, but you, you felt you f- you felt that you were introvert. That I was did. definitely a feeling that you had. Um, so let's let's uh, let's kind of circle back to um, your story. So you guys had kind you you and Dad had moved to the East Coast, Massachusetts, um, and kind of just you know lived in your early twenties, late teens. Correct. So moved to Massachusetts when we were 18 and um, lived in Massachusetts and we moved to Wyoming when we were 20 
the ripe old age of 20. And Aaron was born when I was 21. And you were born when I was 24. So in hindsight, I was just a, a child. Yeah. I was just a child. And um, those were the days that I did not drink. When I was pregnant and when you were small children, I did not drink. I did not drink again probably until I became single. And then, you know, I needed to meet people. I needed to get out there. And so then, um, you know, when work was over and um, then I would drink. So. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the divorce, though. Um, you know, after talking, I, I had the opportunity um, to talk to Siri DeMuth yesterday. Um, and she will, she actually is going to release, uh, she released on the, the episode before this episode. And so Siri DeMuth is the author of the way we stay super, super dope raw book. Um, and we had this conversation about, you know, when she went through separation with her son, Nate's dad, and we, we got like, we got a little deep on that because, you know, I was, a, I, I awoke to the idea that, um, you know, I wasn't the only one that during the divorce and as she was signal that, um, kind of searched for a, a male role model and just to back up a little bit, you know, she had referred to, you know, that Nate was always attached to the construction worker guy, neighbor, or, you know, one of her friends that was just super cool. He was always drawn to the older man. And, you know, I kind of had some flashbacks at that moment that we were talking about that. And I was like, man, that, that was you. most definitely me as a childhood, as a child, as a young child. Mm -hmm. So you and dad separated, got divorced. Um, you packed us up in your VW bug. It was a Pinto oh. station wagon. Green. Yeah, that's even that's even cooler. That's even I, th I thought the the VW bug was was a cool store, but the the so it was it was like a puke green. Puke green. Hell yeah, the puke green Pinto station wagon. What was it like a nineteen seventy? Probably like a nineteen seventy four model around there. Hell Were they yeah. even there then? Yeah. That's awesome. So you pack you packed me and Aaron up, packed up um pretty much all of our belongings into the station wagon and you headed out west from Wyoming to California. And like I don't I I don't really have any recollection of my time in Wyoming. I don't have any recollection of the trip from Wyoming to California. Um, I think my, you know, very first memory is we were living in Roseville and I was probably six or seven at the time. Um, so you were three and <laughs> you were three when we moved here. And so, which made Aaron six. And we moved in with this guy that I had gone to high school with who was also an addict, although he wasn't just an alcoholic, but he was, you know, he grew a shit ton of weed in his backyard back in the day. And he used a lot of drugs. And I was 
oblivious to that whole lifestyle. I mean, I'd lived in Wyoming for seven years. We had lived in Wyoming for seven years. We um, lived what I felt was a pretty wholesome. So that was a, you know, big error on my part at the time. Um, and in hindsight, I know how traumatic that was for you and for your brother. And see, that's so crazy. Cause like, I don't even remember that, you know, I don't even remember that, that whole situation. I think I remember the dude's name. Um, it wasn't Bobby, was it? Bobby Adams. Sorry. <laughs> So So just say it was. Yes, it was Bobby. Okay, so so I remember a little bit more than than I think. Um so we lived with we lived with Bobby for a little bit and what was what happened next like cuz I don't really remember. Or so so what ended what ended that relationship? What caused us what caused us to move out of the house, that house or apartment or whatever the fuck it was? So that was number three. Yeah, <laughs> You're the one counting, not me. I know, so I got two I got two more. Okay. So yeah, so what what was that? So I believe we were there for around a year and the lifestyle was just not a lifestyle that I could live. I had two children. I was a mom. I was trying to work. I was trying to figure out the world. So we moved out and we, um, we actually were unstable for a period there. I can't recall. I think we got a roommate for a short period of time and then we finally settled into our own apartment. And I was, again, I, you know, trying to work and be a single mom. And it was challenging. It was tough. And I think the hardest part for me was that, and this is really easy for me to say now in hindsight, that I did not understand child development. I was uneducated at the time, and I just knew that I needed to go out and make enough money so I could buy cookies. And yeah. So, so I don't do think, things. yeah. And there, you, there's yeah. definitely, there's definitely no fault there. Right? right. Like you were a young single mom. You had two, two young boys. I know Aaron was kind of a, a little wild one at the time. Um, and, and we'll get into that, but you were just doing the best that you could do to keep us, you know, I don't want to say to keep us alive or whatever, keep, but keep we keep us out of the ghetto was the main goal. Yeah, yeah, just 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 live in life. Like you know, there's there's definitely definitely no fault there, for sure. So, so during this time, you know, as we're as we get into our own apartment or house, um. This is is this is this when we moved into Roseville and we met Danny and Carol and all of those or was that 
Right. Our first apartment was in Citrus Heights, and um, our good friends, Danny and Carol from Boston, and they were, it was an interesting, interesting time in our life because they glommed on to us, and we were kind of like family. It was the family that, at the time, I felt like I never had because they were there for us emotionally. And um, they helped pick up the pieces with with you guys. You know, if I needed somebody to um, be there for you, if I had to work late, they you know they were there. Um, the problem was is that they were they too were addicts, and there was a lot of partying going on with them. And they um, they just party. They, they were just party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. I know one thing that I do, you know, looking back at those years now, um, one thing that I do remember for sure was that it was like, I don't even think that we had known them for very, for that long. And then all of a sudden it, it was like, we had this strong connection with Danny and Carol. Um, they had two daughters. So there was, you know, there was definitely that feeling that, um, Kristen and Carrie Ann were, sisters of mine and it was kind of like um Danny and his sister wives almost you know we we were <laughs> yes, it was. we were we were together all the time um you know you guys were again super young like still in your you know early to mid to late 20s um you know, I don't, I don't know how, how, how old you guys were, but you, I, you guys were young and you guys were still most definitely, um, partying and having a good time, but innocently, you know, obviously there were a couple of consequences that came from, um, Danny's partying and using and stuff. But I, looking back at that, like I had always romanticized about Danny, um, he was always the fun guy, the partier. This man had so much love for me and Aaron and, and my mom. Um, he was most definitely a role model. Um, you know, and I remember super into hockey. We were playing hockey at the time and Danny was most definitely there and he was present. And there's one thing that I like will always, I will never forget, um, the video that I think we borrowed his video camera or whatever. And my dad had sent you some money or whatever, um, to buy us some, no, I take that back. You were doing a video that we were, we were going to send to dad because our hockey skates were in disrepair. Like they were, they were pieces of shit. Um, you know, but most definitely a testament to, you know, you as a person, as a single mom raising us, um, you most definitely tried to keep us in, in sports and in, you know, with positive reinforcements, you tried to keep us busy. You did the best that you can. Um, but so we, so we were making this video, um, and you were lacing my skates up. I don't remember who was recording and you said something to the effect of, no, we're going to send this to your daddy. And I think I responded like, no, I want you to send it to Danny. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely was a dynamic individual who definitely did love. He he was full of love. 
And I, I'm grateful for those years that we had with Danny. As chaotic as things got um, at some, you know, some of the time, um, but it was a, it was a kind of like the best of times and worst of times in our lives. Yeah, for sure. And then so going back to you know what I was mentioning about the conversation that I had with Siri and her son Nate. I mean, would you agree? 100% that I was I was searching for that father figure and that I found it kind of in Danny or not not kind of but I most definitely found that in Danny. Oh, for absolutely. Sure. For sure. Um so so during during our childhood um I think it's important one one of the questions that I I, I wanted to ask you, you know, through through the divorce with dad through the trip across, um, you know, pretty much the Western U.S. from Wyoming to California, through living with Bobby, uh, moving to Roseville, meeting Danny and Carol and Christy, Kristen and Carrie Ann, was there ever a time that you had thought that either myself or my brother, like there was maybe something emotionally broken with the two of us or was it more of you just thought that we were kind of growing into our own no there definitely was um a time and i can totally pinpoint the time i don't know if you recall um the christmas that your dad came to california to take you to wyoming for christmas and he didn't bring you back. And um, somehow, I don't recall the whole story 100% because I don't even really know the whole story. But you ended up, you and your brother ended up in Maine with him. And then maybe back to Wyoming. But anyway, I had no way of getting you back from him. And it was the hardest year of my life. I mean, correspondence. I mean, we didn't have cell phones back in the day. Right, right. So there was no correspondence. I didn't really know where you were. I had no way of getting a hold of you. And so um, when you did finally come back, it was because he, he couldn't do it anymore for whatever reasons there were. And um, yeah, you came back um, and you were both so different. Um I mean, I think a year had passed. You were in first grade, maybe. And you went from this skinny little, scrawny little guy to, you probably gained like 50 pounds. Hmm. I mean, it was it was shocking how much weight you had gained. And um, I don't know what Aaron had been through, but there was a definite shift. And I'm not blaming that whole thing because, I, again, I, 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 I don't know what went down or how that went down. But, um, when you came back, it was, um, I mean, you two were a handful, um, Aaron more so than you were, <laughs> you know, I think that Aaron was the one that, that, that got a lot of attention. He had a lot of behavior problems from the get go. So, um, and you kind of got shuffled under, um, a lot because of that. But, in, in my memory, that was the demarcation of when there was a, a major behavior and emotional shift in both of you. It's so, you know, I could only imagine what 
you know, was kind of going through, through your mind as, as we came back, because obviously we were disconnected for a year. Um, like you had talked about, we had pretty much come back as completely different children than what we were when we left. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding the tears back right now because it, it kind of, it pains my heart because I could only imagine what that, what that was like. Um, I know that, you know, that during that time, again, like I don't, it's so crazy that I don't have like super, um, like I don't have really good memory of, of my childhood. I do remember going to Maine. Um, you know, we were living, my dad had a girlfriend in Maine and she had an older daughter, um, that was into like, you know, rock and roll. Like she listened to poison and Metallica and Skid Row. And, and it was definitely during, you know, the, the big hair classic, well, it's classic now, but at the time, like it was the, it was the, it was the business. And I remember like Aaron totally gravitated to that kind of alternative, uh, lifestyle for sure. Um, you know, he kind of turned into the, and I don't know if he was like this as a, as a, as a younger kid, but I do remember him turning into the, you know, the, the more kind of alternative against the world, like, fuck you. I'm okay. So that's number four. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be this guy. This is the cool guy. Um, so I, I just want to fast forward a little bit, um, getting into the years of when you met Jay, um, who Jay is, Jay is the man that raised me. And I, I do want to be a hundred percent honest as well. Like, you know, even to, to this day, um, Jay is the man who raised me. Jay is my father, Steve, who I still have a strong connection. I wouldn't say super strong, but I, I still have a connection with, I respect, um, the fact that he is the dad. He, he, whether he played it or not through the majority of my life, he's most definitely the dad role. Um, you know, I do talk to him on a regular basis. I have a relationship with him. Um, but Jay ultimately was the man that kind of, not kind of, but Jay is the man that, that raised me. Um, so, so take us back to, um, what that, what that whole look, whole thing looked like. Like we met, we went on a camping trip. That's when I met Jay for the very first time. And one thing that I remember is that I didn't know, you know, like I didn't know this guy from Adam. He was cool. Like I didn't even, I didn't even put two and two together that, you know, like you had a thing for him or he had a thing for you. I remember, um, one, one thing I remember about this camping trip, it's super, super fucking awkward. So that's Bye. number five. So I'm, I'm okay. So that's, that's going to be the limit. Is it the compact hunk story? It's no. So, well, maybe it was, maybe it was the compact hunk when you were talking about, I thought, I thought you had called him sweetie or maybe you called him my little compact hunk. And I had said, um, well, you tell the story because I, I, I don't really remember it. 
Yeah. So, yeah, you know, honestly, Jay and I, we had just started dating and we went on this camping trip and um and just getting back to you and 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 Steve, you know, I always still wanted you to have a relationship with Steve. Um I mean, it was good for you to know who you know, your father was. And so I really pushed the issue for you to be able to go with him. Now, was that a prudent decision? I don't know. But I, I think that in my heart that I, I couldn't have lived with myself if I'd have kept, you know, you separate. Um, so yeah, you no. had just been with Steve. You had just come, we went on this camping trip. It was a Friday and you had just come home from Maine. Um, you and Aaron had just come home from Maine on Thursday night and I had agreed to go camping um, with Jay and his friend and they were bringing, Jay was bringing his nephew, Michael, and, um, his friend was bringing his son. So, and then another friend was going with kids. So it was going to be a family friendly thing. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. I didn't have even a, I didn't even own a sleeping bag for crying out loud, but I was like, oh yeah, we'll go camping. And, um, I remember Aaron being, oh, I'm not going hell, hell no, I'm not going. And I forced him to go and he did have a good time in the end. But anyway, so that night when we got there camping, so of course we're partying, was immediately we're partying and we had a snipe hunt. Remember snipe, snipe, oh, yeah. snipe, snipe, snipe. Yep, so yep, we yep. were Here doing a snipe, 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 snipe. <laughs> Us kids were most probably definitely totally into it. <laughs> you guys are probably standing back there with, uh, I think it was um, the the Miller. I think you guys were drinking the Miller at the time for some reason. Yeah. NGD probably, or something like that. NGD. Yeah, the NGD. And yeah. you guys are probably just standing back like, God, look at these kids, you know, like. Oh, no, we were in it too. We were pretty hammered. Yeah. So, and so we're you know, hanging out and playing with you guys. And I was like, wait, where's my compact hunk? And I, I will never forget this. And and you looked at me, you ran up to me like, here I am, mom. And like, I'm out of my mind. Right. And I'm like, no, I meant Jay. And oh my God, you were so devastated. You were so devastated. I, I just, now I look back and I'm like, that really hurt him because we were, we were really close. Yeah. You know, you were my baby. So that was kind of that demarcation, even though you were nine, um, that, you know, it was like, I'm no longer her baby. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, something that you had kind of referred to, you know, is that Aaron, and, and again, like, I don't, I don't really remember the childhood, but Aaron, because of Aaron, Aaron was the way that Aaron was. Aaron got a lot of the attention, but I think the attention that I got from you was more. So Aaron got more of the disciplinary attention from you. And I feel that I got more of the, um, you know, the heartfelt and the love, not that, not to say that you didn't love Aaron, but I, I do feel that you and I were, were most definitely, we had that stronger emotional and love connection for sure. And I think that, you know, that is probably one of my very first memories of like, oh, well, shit. So then, so now that Jay is the compact hunt, this dude that I, I have no idea who he is, you know, he's definitely cool. He definitely knows how to have a good time. Like I think he took and went, um, took us and the kids fishing. He taught us how to set up, like, that's how I learned how to set up a tent that very first time. Um, so he was definitely like, damn, this dude's hella cool. But at the same moment, you know, there was, there was probably a little bit of hate there 
I, I shouldn't say hate, but there is some resentments there like, oh, hold up. You know what I mean? Like my For mom sure. is, um, and I think, I think that that's, you know, so super, I, I, and, and no, obviously no fault of yours. No, but I think that's a really significant point though. You know, that story sticks in my mind because I do know, I mean, I think probably even immediately when that came out, I'm like, oh my God, I broke his heart. And so those things do stick. And I, I understand and I get how that affected, you know, how our life then, you know, how progressed from there for you. Yeah. So, you know, he's, you know, I think that you were felt invisible at that point. Yeah. For sure. So. And then I, I think too at the other on the on the other side of things, maybe after the camping trip, as your guys' relation began to grow, um, you know, we did a lot. We did the you guys did the, you know, s- semi long distance relationship. You lived in Sacramento. Jay lived here in Vacaville. Um, but you guys were together pretty much every night. Either we would drive down here and stay, he would come pick us up, we would ride in the back of the truck, we would come to Vacaville and stay. And I think it was like at that at that juncture that I was like, you know what, this guy is cool. Like this is the man that, you know, I've been I could see this guy as being my dad. Um, because he was always super like kind of he was into me. I remember a couple things like Jay taught me how to throw a football. Jay um, came to school with me one day. We were making scarecrows, and Jay was like the guy that was there. And I think it's super important that at this time Jay was twenty-seven years old. Jay was he was a baby. He was he was a a baby for sure. And I look at my life when I was 27 years old and compared to where Jay was at when he was 27 years, like I was in no way, shape or form ready to be a dad or a stepdad. But I think Jay, um, really gravitated towards that. Like it's, it's definitely something that, that he wanted to be. And it, it, it obviously speaks volumes, uh, to his character for sure. Absolutely. Um, so we ended up, you guys ended up staying together. We moved to Vacaville. We moved in together and Aaron was not having any part of this. He was definitely showing signs of getting in trouble, um, in seventh grade, like hanging out with the wrong crowd was most definitely using, I'm, I'm sure, Um, and I remember he was just kind of like, just kind of the punk, the punk kid. And I can't really speak to, to what Aaron was going through at the time. So that's, that's kind of what, what I wanted to speak to you. Like, what did you notice about Aaron's behavior change? I mean, I don't think it was that much of a drastic change because he had kind of always been this jerk. It's just the magnitude of stuff that he was doing was most definitely elevated. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Aaron was a challenge. Aaron was a challenge from day one. Aaron was a challenge in the womb. And, um, I, and I was aware that he was using, um, as early as seventh grade. He was in the sixth grade when we all moved together um, to Vacaville and 
come to find out the first time he smoked pot was um, when you guys had gone to Maine, when you were gone for that year. So he was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And I learned that later on. So yeah, Aaron was a problem. Um, he had a lot of problems and um, I still don't really quite understand um, how that all manifested, but we worked really, really hard at fixing it, at fixing the problem, at helping him to be able to, you know, move through the world in a better way. And, um, as a result of that, you kind of got lost in that because there was a lot of attention put on Aaron. Um, Aaron ran away the first time when we were, what, he's like in eighth grade, he ran away and Aaron was cutting and Aaron was, um, getting tattoos and, um, Satan worshiping. It was really, really, a horrendous time for all of us. And, um, so a lot of attention went into dealing with Aaron and he ran away probably, I think he was a freshman when he was, he actually really didn't, never went to high school, yeah. you know, ran away to Berkeley and he's sitting up there on telegraph, um, nickel diming people. And, you know, we'd find him and tell him, you're not homeless, you have a good home, you know? So, um, he just did not like following rules and, uh, we spent an enormous amount of energy trying to get him to follow rules that he did not have the capacity to follow. So, yeah. So his story is a very long yeah, drama. It's, it, he, and he, you know, and I, I, I love my brother to death and I know that you and Jay and my dad, we all love Aaron to death. Um, Aaron is, is a special, special person to us. Um, I believe in my mind that, you know, he still continues to struggle and, you know, I'll, I'll get into that into a little bit. But one thing that I think is super important too, is I remember as, as a young child, like maybe six, sixth grade, fifth grade, even, um, you know, having to deal with Aaron living that alternative lifestyle, he was gone and then Aaron would be in jail. And it was all about, all right, yeah, so Aaron's in jail. We're going to go, we're going to bring him dinner. We're going to go hang out with him. We're going to go do this, that, and the other. Um, and that, and, and, and not what I'm, I'm not trying to say like you guys weren't involved in my life because you most definitely were. Um, but I remember being, um, you know, kind of exposed to, and, and not knowing maybe indirectly, but being exposed to that type of lifestyle that, you know, if you did continue down this path of using and, and drinking and drugging, um, that there were most definitely some consequences to pay. Like Aaron spent some time in juvie. He spent some time in the psych word for a little bit. I remember yes, that. Spent some time in jail for sure. Like, um, and you would think that I would learn from his mistakes, um, but I didn't and, and continued down the path that I continued down. 
Um, so when I just want to fast forward. So Aaron was basically in and out of the home, mostly out of the home from the time that I was in fifth grade up until, well, I, he never really came back, um, for, for an extended period of time after that. So I, I had kind of lived the, um, the only child I was, I was most definitely an only child for sure. Um, I think I was given a lot, a lot of freedom, Um, you know, I think that as long as I was at home by a certain time that you guys didn't really question a lot of the stuff. And, and the other thing too, like you and Jay were, were newlyweds at the time. Like you guys were kind of living your life. Um, I had a fairly good group of friends here in Vacaville that, um, you guys were friends of their parents, so you would hang out with them on a regular time. Shane being one of them, you know, we, we talked about when we first met. Um, and and so when you guys hung out with that group of friends, um, you know, there was definitely some partying and, and whatnot. And, and I think that was one of the very first times that both Shane and I have shared this, that we had, you know, started going and stealing beers out of the cooler and we would take the, you know, put them in our pockets or hide them or whatever. And we'd go back into Chad and Jared's room and drink them. And I don't know if, if you guys knew or, or what, but I think I was given, you know, that was the start of the freedom that I was given. Like as long as I was around, it didn't looking back now, it didn't really matter. Um, what I was doing. When was it that you realized, so we knew Aaron had a problem. Obviously you had some, some dealings with some mental health people, maybe some may, or maybe not some, you know, some addiction specialist, um, some youth officers, some police officers. When did you, or, or did you realize that damn Seth is, I mean, I was, I was different my whole childhood, but Seth is, I think maybe drinking more than he should be. Or did you even, did you even realize that? Like, you know, one thing that I think is super funny too, is like stealing the booze out of the liquor cabinet, you know what I mean? And filling it back up with water or iced tea or whatever. Um, you know, I tried to be mindful of that and do it while Aaron was around for the weekend so that I could blame it on him. <laughs> but, you know, there was probably some some times that you guys were like, ah, this, you know, this isn't right. Did you know that I was doing that or or did you did you believe my lies that I that Aaron was doing it? Yeah, no, you know, I mean, and I hate to say this, um, but, you know, as our lives progressed, you were the good kid and Aaron was the troubled kid. So... And my style of parenting um, was the same kind of style, well, but with a lot more love, <laughs> um, was, was quite laissez-faire, to be honest with you. Um, there were not that many parameters. Um, I, you know, and I was so busy dealing with this over here with Aaron and his behaviors. So the behaviors were what... Um, that's how I parented was based on behaviors. So no, I, I didn't really have a clue. I didn't realize that you were stealing um, beers and drinking them when you were in fifth grade. I guess I should have figured it out when you barfed pickles all over the floor that day. 
Like, why would pickles make you barf? I don't know. But, but I did not figure that out. So I guess probably when we really knew, you know, I mean, even I think it was probably high school. Um, and in my way of thinking, um, uh, we wanted you, we knew you were going to drink because drinking was the norm. So we all did it. And so we just wanted you to drink at home. If you were going to drink, we wanted your friends there at the house and we didn't want you out, you know, drinking and driving. Um, we didn't want you to have to face consequences of drinking and driving. So that was kind of our rule. And, um, probably when we realized that it was, um, a problem was probably after the cruise we went on and I don't know, what were you, maybe so that 16? Was 10th, yeah, that was 10th grade. Yeah. 15, 16. And, um, you drank a lot. And, um, it was at that point that I was, to be honest with you, Seth, I was probably more worried about your mental health at that point because I knew you were depressed. I knew that you suffered from depression. I knew that you had some social functioning um, problems. Like it was really difficult for you to go out and function socially. So I was more worried about that. I didn't want to upset you. So, and Plus, you were way bigger than me and you had the deep voice. And <laughs> yeah, if right. I addressed the problem, it would just kind of like, you know, I was I, I was probably afraid of how I didn't want to damage you anymore. You know, so I, I took a laissez-faire approach to it because, you know, we drank and I'm yeah. fine. So yeah. that, that, that was probably more or less my thinking. So um, and I was mostly concerned. And again, and I knew Aaron was was. I don't know if it was drinking so much, but it was the drugs that really bothered me because he was using some really gnarly drugs. And so that was the problem, was the, was those gnarly drugs, you know? I mean, sniffing propane, really? Um, so th these were the things that I was finding out. And so when we would address it with Aaron, he would just run away. Yeah. So So you were you were totally normalizing my drinking like you were like oh, you know yeah. I don't I really don't care as long as it's just you know beer um because I got this other son over here that's you know shooting heroin smoking crack um huffing propane so my it's it's okay for my 15 16 17 year old son to you know drink a drink a couple beers if he wants to while I'm at home what you didn't know um, you know, and, and, and drugs, alcohol, like I truly believe it doesn't matter the drug or the alcohol. It doesn't matter. You know, like I, I know that there's a ton of people out there that will argue this point with me. Um, if, if heroin was available when I was growing up, like if it was readily available in Vacaville, I probably would have ended up a heroin addict or if meth was as big um, in Vacaville, you know, or even in Northern California that it is, you know, now or that it was 10 years ago, I probably would have been a meth addict. It's just that at that time, um, alcohol, you know, I was definitely smoking a shit ton of pot. At that time, it's it's just what became readily available. So my belief and the, the argument that I could probably get back is that I don't, it doesn't matter the drug of choice. It's, it's why we use, I think that is the most, the, 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 the biggest problem. Um, 
just, you know, just, just to be a hundred percent honest, right. That I think there's a lot of, um, you know, like social shame that is placed on the heroin addict because it's looked at as like dirty and, oh my God, he sticks needles in his arm and this, that, and the other. And it's, you know, it's in my mind, like it's, it's all the same stuff. Um, so that's, and I think that you, you probably felt a little bit of that, that because I wasn't shooting heroin, like it was, it was all good. Um, so definitely, definitely drank all throughout high school. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the night of graduation or it was the night before graduation fell through the friend's glass table. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I think that that was at, those were the times when we really realized, oh my goodness, we have a problem here. You know, not we have a problem, but there is a problem here. And just getting back to your point, yes, I we, I did normalize alcohol consumption because we did it. It wasn't yeah. like it's not a problem, yeah. right? We yep. even though my mother was an alcoholic, um, it it you know, but it's still you know, it, it, I never knew any children that were alcoholics that I was aware of. That and then also the other thing is just na- not being naive, not you know, not knowing, being young and dumb, I guess. Um, it was really not until I started, you know, I, I didn't go to college until you were 16. It's when I started my college, you know, college education was when you were 16. And, um, you know, that opened up a whole world to me. So, and yes, I absolutely agree with you. It doesn't matter what the drug is. It, it matters what, what's underneath and the, the use it's it's the reason for the use um so i agree with you wholeheartedly i'm glad you bring that up yeah and then and then so like also you know just kind of getting back to um i don't know why i feel like we have to talk about the the whole the whole life story but i, d- I do want to you know touch on on some topics that i think are, are important and to get you know, kind of what was going through your mind, um, as a mother to share with the listeners. So, you know, obviously party throughout high school, join the military. I'm sure at that point in time, like there was some shit that had gone down between me and you and Jay and you guys were, you know, kind of just ready for me to go out and you know, just kind of do my own thing for a little bit. Cause I, you know, like I will admit, like I had done some pretty horrible stuff. I stole a ton of money from you guys. I, um, was, uh, you know, kind of turned into a complete asshole. Jay had got me a job to pay you guys back. And I remember, um, I failed the drug drug test test because, so what I was doing for that is I was having someone pee in a bag for me. I was taping the bag of pee to my leg. Like this is just the craziness and the, the. I don't know, I'm at a loss of words right now, but this is just what my addiction did. Like I had this job, it was a good paying job Like I, and I enjoyed it and I think I did, I did good at it. And you know, I was liked on the job side. I was a hard worker. Um, but so what had happened was the day that, so I, I, I had gone like to probably three or four weeks working, um, and taping this pee to my leg and, and keeping it warm. And I think the day that I had to, had to go pee was 
the like the bag had broken or whatever. <laughs> um or no or no, what what it was is that the, the bag had broken and leaked a little bit out and I went to go dump it in the cup and there wasn't enough in it, so I peed in that thinking like Oh, it's gonna be diluted. Like it's 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 totally okay. It's gonna be all right. Like I and I continued to uh, to use. I continued to uh, smoke weed, uh, snort coke, eat mushrooms, do all that shit. Even though I knew that I had a, I was at risk of taking a pee test. So I I remember coming home like it was the typical, you know, like we're gonna talk to our son tonight. You know, the the lights were kind of dimmed. Um, I had gotten home and you and Jay were sitting at the dinner table. Like I could tell like, oh shit. Like Jay had gotten the drug results, which I'm sure is like super, yeah, super illegal. Jay had gotten the drug results before like I had even known. Um, and you know, so basically I ended up getting fired. Right. Um, obviously. And so I went and joined the military and I'm sure at that time, you know, was there, was there like a sense of relief? that maybe I was going to go out and, and find my own way. Relief. I, I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a word that, or that a feeling that came to me, you know, I think it was, um, I mean, I think that what my main feeling that I had as a parent was just disappointment um, disappointment in myself, disappointment in my inability to be able to address the issue appropriately. And I can't believe how much work you did on that whole P thing. That's just crazy. insane. That it's insanity. Insane. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't even have the imagination to come up with all of that, but, um, anyway, yeah, disappointment. So, and it took you a lot to get into the military. It wasn't like something that you just went down to the recruiter and signed up and they took you right in. There was a lot of steps you had to go through to get there. And so I was actually, we, we were really proud of you. We were like, yes, this is, this is what Seth needs. He needs discipline. He needs the ability to be able to, um, I don't want to say strip down to nothing because I know that's what the military likes to do and then they build you up. But it was, it was actually really, um, from our standpoint, it was good for you. It, um, and you seem to be really proud of yourself. And that made us really happy um, that you were proud of what you were doing. And I, I, I think that that was, for us, that was kind of like, yes, you know, things are going to change around for Seth. He's going to start feeling some pride in himself. And he's going to be able to, you know, move into adulthood smoother. Mm-hmm. So that's what we felt. And then, and then, so yeah, so like I joined the military and, you know, both of my service stations, like I was stationed far away from home. Um, so the only, the only life that you and Jay could see is the conversations that we had over the phone at the time. Like, and, you know, obviously I, you know, maybe lied about the things that I was feeling and the things that I was doing, um, and you guys, you know, obviously you guys came out to New York um, and, and hung out. And it was probably at that time that you were like, it's still the same old Seth. No, we knew. We knew even sooner that there were, that you were having, that you were struggling. We knew even sooner because um, I knew you were partying hardy in, in Ketchikan. 
and we were really worried about that. Um, you were bored there, and there wasn't wasn't much to do. Um, but 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 party. I remember seeing pictures, you know, with all the alcohol, and so we were we knew we knew there was a problem after boot camp, um, and when you went to Alaska, um, but we just didn't we didn't know how to address it because now you're an adult. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a different way of parenting a child when they're an adult, especially when they're in the military. So it was a really difficult subject to broach. And we struggled with it. We really struggled with it because we worried a lot about you. Yeah. So, and we knew when you called, um, you know, if you'd been drinking, we knew it. Um, well, and I'm we sure there's there's probably there was probably a bunch of uh, of the drunk dials too. You know what I mean? Especially coming from from Alaska, where you know after the party had gone out, like I didn't have nothing to do but you know to hang out in the barracks room, and I still wanted to hang out and maybe even talk to you to you guys. Um, but then and then so you know fast forward, like we're going through that. You know that I'm struggling. You guys come out to New York. You get to hang out for a little bit. Um, did you guys get to go on the family cruise when, when, were you out there for the family cruise? No, we missed out on that. Oh, you you guys did. That's right. You guys did miss out on the family cruise. Um, and then you got a call from me that said, Hey, I'm going to rehab. Well, I was still in New York. I did not get a call from you saying you were going into rehab. So that was, so how did you find out about that? Cause obviously I, I, after the fact, okay. After the, so the, and then during that time that I was in rehab, like there was no, we didn't, we didn't talk. There was no contact. Um, so what, so take me to, take me through that. Like, what was that thought? Like when you were like, wait, hold up. Like this fool just went to rehab. Like what, what, yeah. So what was, what was that like? Well, the whole time that you were in New York, it was really a challenge you know the whole new york thing just everything from almost day one from the time you got there um was really difficult so there were times that we we didn't get to talk to you for long spans of time and um we didn't really know what was going on and so we normalized that we normalized it yeah it's just like, a, a, you know, parents that have a kid that are deployed. Although I was always grateful that I never had, that you were never deployed to Afghanistan, you know. But, you know, we all know what went down and how, you know, what happened. Um, so, yeah, we, we just, we normalized it. Um, and when you did come home, we're like, oh, wow, there's a problem. And... Um, when you went back, we realized there was a problem. So I, I don't think I even knew you went into rehab until you went into rehab um, when you went to Azure Acres. Oh, really? And then it was then shared with me that you had been in rehab in um, New York. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, I think, you know, um, I, I've shared this a couple times, you know, and I, and I, to, I totally, you know, believe that and, and trust that um, because that didn't last very long. I think I think I lasted maybe three or four days after I had gotten out of rehab in, in Virginia and was right back where I was at. Um, 
so to to spare the the listeners of the of the show the the war stories from the time that I had gotten out of the military um, to the time that I came to you because um, I think this is super super important I think that it's you know this is there's some good value added sharing here um, when I came to your house I think Jay Jay was working um, and I you know I I I broke down and I told you like I can't I can't do this anymore. I can't I can't suffer, I can't live this life anymore. I want I want better, you know, and obviously there was there was a couple consequences that I shared on the show with with me and Mel. Um, you know, obviously there like I di- I didn't want to live that life anymore. And I knew that I was probably facing some serious consequences um, if I didn't if I didn't make some changes at that juncture. So let's let's talk about that day. Like, what did what did that what did that look like? So, yeah, it was. I believe it was a Sunday actually when you came home, and I was home by myself, and um i had no idea why you were coming over you know i was just it was just a normal day and when you shared with me that you wanted to change and um that you were tired and all that we had a long conversation i mean seth i i'll have to tell you i just felt such a sense of relief it was like because this was huge i knew this was huge Um, you know, because by this time I had a career, I was a social worker, I was working with people that, um, struggled with addiction and other issues. And I was like, yes, this is the breakthrough. This is, I was so proud of you. Um, and it's so funny because like, I'm not that hard of a person to talk to. Um, but I feel like that, you know, I felt honored that I was the one that you came and talked to about it. And I was so happy to be able to, you know, be a part of, um, helping you to help yourself. And that was the bottom line. Um, I don't know how you conjured up that strength or that, you know, um, what it took for you to get there. But I was so, I was, I was really happy because we knew, we knew we, Jay and I talked about it all the time. You were like, you know, it was just like with your brother. I, I, maybe even said to you, you know what, I already got that phone call at midnight um, that, you know, we didn't know, I mean, we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And I was so scared that that was going to happen again. And I don't know if I could have survived through that. So I felt like maybe I, you know, maybe I just felt like, oh, thank God. Now I don't have to worry about this anymore. So for some reason I knew, I knew that was the time. I knew that was the moment. And, um, you know what you come, I knew you had the inner strength, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of hereditary. <laughs> yeah. I think you, I think you got that hereditary, that, you know, gene. So, so, and you know, that's, that's super good. Um, and, and warming for me to hear because obviously I was coming from a place of guilt and shame and self hate. Um, and I was most definitely at my max because, you know, looking back and even, you know, you even talked to this, like you saw signs of this when I was a, you know, maybe a five, six, seven year old boy. So my struggle with self, um, you know, started, 
super earlier uh, or super early, maybe not as early as some of the listeners out there, but it did that self hate pretty much built up for 23 years. Um, and I was coming from, you know, a place of shame and, and guilt and fear and hate. And one thing, um, that I remember, you know, after I had talked to you, like I didn't, I didn't feel that anymore. I felt nothing but love and, and compassion. Um, you know, and then we, I think I called Mel on the phone. Um, you know, and Mel, like I remember Mel was like very like matter of fact, like she didn't believe that, um, that I was going to go and we weren't even together for that long. Right. So, so making that call. And then, you know, I remember hanging up the phone with her, like kind of feeling a little, a little defeated. Um, so, so getting, getting, getting a little bit back to that. So, I mean, you know, obviously this was something like a breakthrough, like this was something positive, something that I needed. Um, do you, did you ever feel, you know, like that it was hard um, I don't know if you shared this with any of your other friends or with our family, or did you feel that like that, that was a hard conversation to have, um, telling people that I was at rehab or did you even tell people that I was at rehab out of the fear of that they may, you know, judge you as a person or that they may judge me as a person? I don't think I felt that way, Seth, because at that point in my life, I already had recognized addiction as a disease. And I have friends that had been in rehab before you had gone into rehab. And I remember, um, I remember just a quick story, like in 2006, when I had breast cancer and a very, very good friend of mine, I had gone away for a weekend with her and come to find out she was an alcoholic. And we had this conversation and she was, you know, expressing her shame and her guilt and her, all of that. And I, I explained to her, but it's just like me. I have a disease. You have a disease. I, I can't judge somebody because of their disease. So that was where I was coming from. Um, at that point, you know, I, I mean, um, as far as talking to friends about you going into rehab, I, probably did not um, share that because I respected your privacy. I didn't want, um, you know, because people, not everybody thinks the way that I think. Yeah. And I, re- I recognize that. So um, I think that I was just so proud of you that you had made this decision for yourself because as we all know, nobody can force um, somebody with addiction into a program. Yep. You have to make that decision for yourself. And I knew that and I recognized that. And so I think that when you came to me, I was like, wow, this is the opportunity. And I was going to move on it fast. Yeah. You know, we're going to get this done. We're going to do it now before you have a chance to change your mind. And I just kind of like clicked into social work mode and we, you know, worked on what we needed to work on um, to make that happen. And, um, you know, I just want to recognize Melanie, you know, bless her heart. Yeah, you guys have only been together for, I don't know, five, six months. And um, she was a part of it. And I mean, you know, that's just one of the reasons why we love her so much. You know, she she was there for you. She saw through that. She saw through the addiction. She saw somebody that we saw that we knew 
Yeah. And um, that was just another reason why we loved it. So we, we tag teamed on it. It was, it was a great, it was, you know, as a parent, it was probably my, my most proud moment. Yeah. Honestly, except yeah. for, you know, you going into the military and graduating from high school. <laughs> And kindergarten. Well, and so that's, I mean, that's all that, you know, uh, you know, maybe aside from the military, but all that other stuff was, you know, stuff yeah. that you're, you're supposed to do. Um, so we're going to wrap this thing up in a couple of minutes, mom, but I just wanted to touch on the, the topic, like, you know, you worked in, in social work and public service. You helped a lot of people. Um, you saw a lot of, you know, emotional, um, size, you know, emotional substance abuse, um, people dealing with mental health issues, what did you what do you think was the common thread in in your story with me and my story with you and then also as you were working as a professional in the field like what was the common thing because obviously you were dealing with people from a multiple you know multiple walks of life right and you know I'll be 100% honest like I had a really good childhood like I never, um, like we didn't really, we never struggled, um, outside of, you know, you as a single mom, but like, I always had what I needed, um, materialistic wise. I always felt love, you know, obviously maybe sometimes I felt deserted at times, but that was kind of my own shit. Um, so what, are, what, what's the common thread there that you saw with me? And then, you know, someone that maybe had a little harder life than me. Yeah, so I so I worked in child welfare for the primary part of my uh, career. So I dealt with people um, that had been accused of or had abused or neglected their children. So I would say that there probably weren't that many common threads. Primarily the people that I, and yes, I, I dealt with people from all walks of life and, and, you know, social economic statuses, but the bulk of the people I worked with, there was, were in poverty. Yeah. So poverty was the number one theme. And then what went along with that was, um, addictions, substance abuse, and mental health. So, um, which one came first? You know, you can never know what yep. came first, the chicken or the egg. Um, but, um, I want to say in my career, most of the people that were dealing with the problems did not take responsibility for their own actions. They wanted to fight the problem rather than work on addressing what the problem was, whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent and, um, dealing with it in a, in a way that would be most beneficial to their children and to themselves. So it's hard to say. I, I, I honestly, um, you know, every situation was so different, but I definitely was well versed in um, handling um, people that had mental health and um, and used substances. I want to say probably most of the people used yeah. substances. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, that's fair enough, right? Like this, this, this disease, um, if you, if you'd like to think of it. So as mom, a before we wrap this, this up, this, I just want to, you know, ease say thank you nothing for, but, you know, the struggle that we do. However you look at your, your um, willingness to come on the show, like, 
alcoholism, this isn't, drug addiction. You know, this isn't easy substance to abuse, sit down um, and I truly and talk, believe especially that with a mic it's a, right it's in front a problem of your face with self. That, you know, it's and you know, this is something that is most definitely super just fun a coping and mechanism. we love to do and, and I think because we so don't know how to deal with ourselves that we do um, this not we to use, you know, put our lives out there out of ego. It doesn't matter because where you come from, whether you come from poverty to tell or whether you come from wealth, whether you're black, you're white. Your, alcoholic your purple or addict green still struggles. it doesn't we matter do male female it doesn't matter with this the shit. child um, the wife affects the mother people the from father all walks of life every you single know, there's day other people it tears families apart daily basis you know it, 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 it causes and shame and fear you know and kind of my duty as a man in recovery as a person in recovery to do that you know it's 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 also important to say you know that this this addiction and these struggles, like it doesn't matter who you are. You like, you could find yourself in the situation that I was in, um, you know, for the majority of my life. And I know, I know now that if I don't continue to do that, like I could be right back. It's moments like this that, uh, are going to keep me going, you know, another day. Um, so much love and gratitude, um, to you, mom, for coming on if you could say, you know, one thing or give one word of advice to the mother out there of the addicted person or the mother out there of the, the person that is, you know, new to recovery, what would that be? Well, first of all, Seth, thank you for doing this and thank you for having me. I do think it's really, really important for people um, for listeners to know that they're not alone and that um, this situation is epidemic and we're all kind of subject to um, what addiction, you know, the wrath of addiction. And thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you to the listeners for listening. Um, so getting back to your point, um, as a mother, I think I would say just, you just have to keep loving your child and um, hold your child accountable for their behaviors and for what's going on with them and have boundaries. Um, boundaries are really, really important. And I think that's with addiction, that's what happens is we, we, we don't have boundaries, we lose our boundaries. So that's the best thing that you can do to help your child or your loved one for that matter, you know, that are struggling with addiction and patience, patience and love. Yeah. And I, you know, also just to, just to, um, piggyback onto that, you know, like I can't really give advice, advice to the mother or the addicted one. Like I'm just a regular dude. Like I struggle with this shit. I'm not. Um, you know, a recovery specialist or, or any of that. I'm not anything, but um, if I were to say one thing to the mother out there, the father, the wife, the son, the daughter, and most importantly, you know, the alcoholic or the, the addict that continues to struggle, like it's not your fault. This is not what life had planned for us. It just happened this way. And the only power or the only thing that you may or may not be a fault of is deciding to make that decision that enough is enough. And 
I personally like that wasn't Seth that made that decision. There was something else that told me or that spoke to me that said like, dude, you can't do this anymore. So with all of that, you know, that rap on that, like, I think it's super important that we all know that we didn't intend to end up like this for the mother. Like if you have the son or the daughter that is caught up in the addiction, it has nothing to do with you. It's not your fault. It's just the way that this shit played out. Um, and then also I do want to say one more thing that's super important just for the record. I think there was a total of four F bombs dropped tonight. I think there was five. Oh, was there? There Did, was. did I? Okay. So did I meet the max? And then also to be a hundred percent transparent, I think, um, you know, that this, this episode is going to go just the way that we recorded it. I even said, um, you know, like a, the amount of ums, I think I was able to reduce that. So just, just giving myself a little pat on the back for the, for the five F bombs. Um, much love, respect, keep your blood clean out.